hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. As many of you know, in partnership with Prudential, we're working to spread the idea of financial wellness throughout the entire LGBTQ community. Prudential's 2018 Financial Wellness Census and its subsequent report, The Cut, Exploring Financial Wellness Within Diverse Populations, highlights some fascinating information about the LGBTQ community and how we see and use our money. Josh Stoffergan, Prudential's VP and Head of Global Communications for Prudential's Workplace Solutions Group, joins us again today to share his insight on Prudential's latest data. As listeners may recall, Josh and his colleague joined us for episode 75 to talk about Prudential's LGBT financial experience surveys, and we expand upon both those studies today. So, before we start, we'd like to thank Prudential for continuing to provide such great insight into our community so that their financial advisors and we can continue to effectively help our community. We'd also like to thank Prudential for supporting this podcast. Now, on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So welcome again, Josh Joffrey, to Queer Money. We appreciate having you. Yeah, thanks so much. It's good to be back. Absolutely. Yeah, second time. <laughs> so this yeah. is, um, we always love, as I told you before the last time you were on, we love when Prudential comes out with data because you always come out with so much information that we just feed off of that for months. So in the financial wellness census from 2018 is, is no different as well as the sub-study, the cut. So I'm excited to dive into some of these conversations. So can you start off by telling us how is this study different than the previous studies Prudential has done, specifically the LGBT financial experience studies? Sure, happy to. So as you know, we kind of started looking at this community back in 2011 when I went out to do research uh, around the country to look at how our community was saving, planning, preparing for retirement. We officially launched that in 2012 ahead of the fall of the Defense of Marriage Act, ahead of marriage equality becoming a reality in, in 2015, and then went out, as you know, and, and re-surveyed, re-looked, took a deep dive at, at that community in 2016, 2017. And as part of that, we had the LGBT financial experience that I was working on. We also had the African-American financial experience. We were looking at women over here. There was just a large a swath of um, unique populations we were looking at. And as you can imagine, going out and, and surveying folks and bringing all this to market can be kind of costly and timely. And we wanted to make sure that we were getting the information out and also being as current as possible. So in 2018, we looked to combine all of that into what you referenced as the cut, which looks at each of these unique populations populations and can have more real-time feedback on what each of them are experiencing. So in 2018, we went out with the Financial Wellness Census that surveyed more than 3,000 U.S. adults uh, and was among the most comprehensive and in-depth studies of Americans' financial health since the 2008 crisis. So it was great to see the start from back in 2012 to 2016 to 2018 and all the great progress that the community has been experiencing. But then at the same time, there's still a lot of challenges that we face and that, that are unique to us. So I think, you know, an interesting fact across the board, LGBTQ respondents um, own fewer financial products, including retirement accounts 
accounts than the general population. So our study found that only 27% of LGBTQ respondents in the study have an employer-sponsored retirement savings account, such as a 401k, compared to 41% of non-LGBTQ respondents. And only 21% have an individual retirement account or an IRA versus 32% of non-LGBTQ respondents. And in fact, only half of the LGBTQ respondents surveyed have a basic banking account, such as a checking savings or money market or certificates of deposit, uh, the rest being unbanked. And two-thirds of those uh, respondents um, own at least one of those financial products. So I think that, as I mentioned, shining a bright light on this area has been helpful, but then there's still a lot of challenges that we're seeing in the community. I'm wondering, as you're reading off this information, what is your perspective? What is holding us back relative to the general population in adopting these products and services that are designed to help us achieve financial security? Are we just not receiving the information? Are we hesitant to pursue adopting them? You know, I think what it comes down to is education, right? I think a lot of the time there needs to be a better understanding of our community and having folks reach out to us to talk about our unique needs, which are different than the general population. And then at the same time, things like family planning and marriage have only become a reality in the last five years. So I think that people might not think about having conversations and sitting down with their spouse to talk about retirement planning or um you know, making sure that they're updated beneficiaries on each other's 401ks or having the conversation around, do we need additional savings outside the workplace? So I think that those are some of the things that we're seeing out of the 2018 census. I absolutely agree with you here, Josh. And and what's so interesting is what you just said is the whole reason why John and I are doing what we're doing. We spoke to someone yesterday, and he is a part of one of the courses that we offer. And he was saying that when he and his husband sat down and started talking about money, that he started to search online. And we got into this conversation around this idea that there has been in some cases, for some communities, there have been decades or centuries of their stories being told of this is what you need to do to improve financially. But there haven't been the stories of the LGBTQ community being told. There haven't been the examples of this is what a gay couple does. This is what a lesbian couple does. This is what a transgender couple does as they have improved themselves financially. We have podcasts out there that are dedicated to the African-American community's personal finance, to the Christian community's personal finance, to so many different communities. And that's one of the reasons why John and I have to shine a light on this kind of data when we get the chance, because it really does start to tell more of our stories. And it gives us the opportunity for people to say, oh, that's me. I, 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 resonate with that. Um, And if it wasn't for companies like Prudential doing this, we wouldn't have many stories to tell. Yes. Thank you, Prudential. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I completely agree, right? We want to see ourselves, whether it be in advertising or in representation uh, in financial planners or whatever the case may be. But I think something that we've talked about before that's important to underscore again is, you know, there's unique um, obstacles to financial success in specific to the LGBT community, right? So we're talking about um, folks who have jobs or whether it be somewhere that has an employer-sponsored plan or a gig worker, et cetera. But then there are people within the community, within our community, the LGBTQ community that, you know, lack universal protection against job discrimination or issues obtaining housing in certain states. So if you're not able to, you know, feel safe and, and rent an apartment or be able to know that you can be yourself at your job, then with having some of these foundational issues, and it's really hard to see yourself past that to look 
look to saving for retirement or financial planning whenever you don't have the basic wellness realized. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's almost like it sounds like you're saying it's sort of a Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of thing. We're still worried about our safety and security, and it doesn't necessarily afford us the the privilege of being able to say, okay, now I'm going to focus on saving my retirement so I have you know X amount of dollars by the time I retire. Right. If you're exactly, if you're, you know, not able to secure housing or you're afraid uh, you're going to be fired at your job, I don't think that you're going to be thinking about putting extra money aside for your retirement. Right. Yeah. So leads to another question that I have. David and I, obviously, we probably live in a bubble because we talk about money and finance all day long. And everybody that we that we connect with, for the most part, Monday through Friday, does the same. So it almost kind of feels like there's all this information out there about improving yourself financially. What more can we be doing, do you think, or what more needs to be done for us to connect with the LGBT community about this topic? Well, continuing to what we were just talking about and kind of the overall, you know, financial picture for folks, again, we kind of live and breathe it every day, but um, not everyone does that, right? And I think for the first time, the industry, the financial services industry is taking a broader look at individuals and, and their whole selves versus you know, the sleeves. So, and kind of connecting stress around losing your job or job satisfaction or life satisfaction to depression or anxiety or stress or the inability to focus at work and morale and then how that impacts physical health. And then, then obviously there's a dollar signs um, whenever you're ill and you have to pay to stay in a hospital or seek treatment, et cetera, and, and how to kind of build that foundation for folks to then increase um, their their financial awareness. And then as a result of that, um, get everyone on a path to and through a secure retirement that would be different for each person, because obviously it would be very situational. But I think that looking at like, like what we're doing with Prudential with looking at having this research that goes back eight years on the LGBT community and some of the unique financial needs and challenges and how we can address them. So I think you might remember when we first started looking at this back in 2012, it was almost nine out of 10 when we when we surveyed folks, nine out of ten LGBT people said that they had never been approached by a financial advisor to talk about LGBT specific financial planning. Now, a lot of that has changed with marriage equality coming into effect and all of that, but there's still a need for individuals to have those conversations, and it wasn't necessarily a market that people were looking at. Absolutely. Dave and I talk about a lot that, you know, as he was alluding to earlier, we've got centuries of sort of collateral created for financial services firms that show like the straight white couple walking down the, the beach with their golden retriever. And a lot of LGBT people can't identify with that. Uh, and many don't want to have that kind of a retirement. So if you're not able to see what your possibilities are, you might not even consider what the possibilities are. Um, and so the fact that we're able, the industry as a whole, Prudential specifically, is trying to do what it can to engender the LGBT community. I think it's, it's, it's doing a fabulous job. Yeah, and I think that's true, right? Talking about imagery and how people kind of visualize retirement, I think that's also changing over the last decade or so. So you're not looking at people with the the yachts or the two Adirondack chairs or the you know the bottles of champagne or the golden retriever, like you said, taking long walks. I think that it's it's something different to everyone. So it's almost a, a reimagining or a redefining of retirement overall, but then also looking at how that impacts the LGBTQ community specifically. Right. 
I still want a yacht, Mr. Alton. <laughs> <laughs> I want the Adirondack chairs. You can have the yacht. <laughs> so between the 2016 and 2017 LGBT financial experience survey and the 2018 financial wellness census, it looks like there's a strong case that there is a sexual orientation and gender identity pay gap, similar to the gender pay gap. Is that what you see as well? Yeah, I mean, I think with the population overall, there's a gender gap, but then it becomes even more acute whenever you look at the LGBTQ community, because when if you're in a lesbian relationship, then you have two women, which would just, you know, bright line the challenge that if you had a heterosexual couple, you wouldn't necessarily face. I would just add, I think, you know, in some of the findings, we found that LGBTQ women in the sample were more confident than men uh, when it came to asking if they, if we thought they were going to be able to meet their financial needs or their their goals. Interesting. I, I find that interesting because uh, John and I have talked about this a number of times that it does in general seem that women, whether LGBT or not, seem to take a stronger interest in financial security take less risk and are, I think, maybe more forward thinking about wanting to have a secure financial future, whether that's in the next few months or in the next 30 years, they seem to take more of an interest. And it almost seems like to a degree, it's exacerbated that the LGBT male community seems to be less interested than the non-LGBT male population. So it is kind of interesting that you bring that point up because it's something that John and I talk about regularly. Yeah, and I think that you'll find too, or you'll in the study that, or the, or the data, that LGBTQ women are more likely to uh, be married or have children. Right. Um, so an interesting set that we're talking about, you know, only 17% of LGBTQ men reported having children versus 54 of women. So, you know, the comparable percentages for non-LGBTQ men and women were 61% and 66%. So our numbers are lower to begin with, but then significantly lower on the on the male side. Right. And I, I just have to think that that whole need to plan for a wedding, need to plan for children, and then having children and taking care of their needs adds a layer of concern, financial concern to your relationship or who you are as a human. So then take a little bit more time and investigate and think about preparing. Like, like we were talking about earlier, if you don't see it, then you might not consider it. Right. So if you don't have couples who have gotten married, bought the house, had the children, done all that stuff, you don't know that that's necessarily an option for you. Until maybe it's <laughs> until maybe it's too late. So are you you're sort of the master conductor of all of these studies from behind the scenes. What is your take on all of the data that you've been collecting since 2012? Are you do you feel optimistic about the direction things are going for the LGBT community financially, or do you see some concerns? No, I mean, I'm master conductor is a, is a, is a fun title that I, I would pick, <laughs> but just helping out in the cut, but, you know, happy to have been leading the effort um, for the 2012 and 2016 launches. But I think, yes, overall, if you look back over the past decade, we've had significant progress and, you know, it's so heartwarming to see all of the great strides that we've made, but then at the same time, we're not there yet. So mm-hmm, I think that there is a, a paradigm shift and things are changing. I think financial service firms are paying more attention. I think society overall is paying more attention. But to your point, I think that it's an interesting dynamic with 
the LGBTQ community because then I think that after marriage, the Obergefell decision came about, then that introduces a whole new world for a lot of folks. And mm-hmm. to your point, maybe people weren't planning, had no idea that or did, never thought about planning or having family planning, whether it were be children or planning for retirement with a spouse, getting married, et cetera. So this introduces all types of new opportunities that then need to be addressed by all industries, but obviously the financial services industry. Right. And I do feel like since 2015, that there's sort of been sort of the sea change within the community that we're starting to think, oh, okay, I, I need to start thinking about some of these, some of these really responsible, <laughs> heavy things. Right. Um, it's kind of sort of put an extra responsibility on us and we're sort of running with that, I think. So David and I often say that we're kind of sort of in our infancy in terms of the maturation maybe of of our financial progression, but with the help of Prudential and uh, hopefully with the work that David and I are doing that we're getting there. Not just specific to the LGBTQ community, but overall, I mean, if you look back to the government shutdown that just recently happened Mm -hmm. and how with just that short amount of time that people weren't working, the amount of individuals who weren't able to maintain their day-to-day living or pay their bills really shows that there's a deep-seated need in the country and that, you know, this lack of financial security is creating anxiety and there needs to be a solve in a sense that people are living paycheck to paycheck and something like this, this government shutdown really kind of highlights that. Right. Well, that kind of goes back to my, I'll ask the same question, but for the general population overall, if if I can, with all the information that, that from our perspective, it seems like it's out there, why do you think it might not be connecting with the general population in terms of all the rules that we, that, you know, we always continually espouse, you know, um, have three to six months worth of living expenses saved in an emergency savings account, have contribute enough to your retirement account to get your corporate match, all that. Why do you think it's not connecting or, or resonating with the general population? Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think a couple things. I think that, you know, there's been studies done and we have some data around it too, but 50% of Americans don't know where to turn when they need education around financial advice or support, right? And I think this probably doesn't come as a surprise, but 68%, almost 70% of folks don't have an advisor who offers financial planning. So the majority of America is doing their own financial planning Mm -hmm. and our research has shown anywhere from 66 to 80% of workers surveyed live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And to your point on emergency savings, 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their savings account. And 63% of Americans don't have enough savings to meet a $500 emergency. So the, you know, the car breaking down or the washing machine needing a repair. And when that happens, we have found that people then who do have access to lucky enough to have access to a 401k, then tap into their 401k, take a loan out to be able to meet those emergencies. So it then becomes a cycle. So I think that there just needs to be more education and more tools uh, available to individuals to help them succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that it's so interesting, the data that you just shared. And at the same time, it seems that when you look at the outward appearance of many people, in the country, whether in our community or not, the types of homes that we're buying, the types of cars that we're buying, the clothes that we're wearing don't seem to match the financial education and state that we say that we're in. It seems like, you know, recent statistics show that Americans now have surpassed a trillion dollars in balances on their credit cards, whether that's the rolling balances or just the month over month balance. So that is that we seem to be taking on more debt when it comes to mortgages, more debt when it comes to student loans, more debt when it comes to our credit cards. 
I just, I kind of, I'm baffled by the fact that everything seems to continue to grow, but the financial education and the, our ability to understand what we can't afford and cannot afford and live up to those levels or below those levels, I should say, so that it's beneficial to us still seems to be lacking. No, I agree. And I mean, we've had research that shows over half of people are stressed about their, their financial situation and something like 44% worry about money while they're at work. So yeah. they're taking time away from doing whatever they're, you know, they need to be doing at work to stress about uh, a money factor in their life that then has other implications. Right, right. Um, right. As, as we talked about with the wellness, that's going to affect your ability to work at work. It's going to affect your relationships and your physical health. Um, yeah, absolutely. To go back to the LGBT community, we, we had a question on Facebook uh, specific to how you pulled the data. A, a commenter said that there's no way to identify an LGBTQ person among the general public, and there's no census data out there that identifies a percentage of the public that is LGBTQ. Without being able to, to pull that data, how are you able to pull out that data for the financial wellness census? Yeah, and I think that's a great question, and it's true. Like, you can't just walk down the street and say, oh, you're gay, you're a lesbian, you're bisexual. So it really comes down to self-reporting, right, and and being able to rely on folks who do self-identify. I know for the 2012 survey that we went out with and the 2016 survey, we, we work with third-party vendors who have access to folks who do self-identify that are interested in helping shine a bright light on our community. So being able to go to them and, and kind of make sure that we're getting a, a valid sample and a, and, a, and a true sample is really important. Yeah, absolutely. So then what more can the LGBT community look out for from Prudential in the coming months? The, the work with the census and the financial wellness census and the cuts that look specifically to the LGBTQ community is something that we're still very focused on and look to continue to update. I, I, you know, next month is Pride all over the country in June, so we're we're very excited and gearing up for that. Every year there's a World Pride event, so a different city around the country hosts that. This year, New York City, as you might know, is hosting World Pride. It's the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots that started the gay rights movement, so New York is thrilled to be hosting this year. As part of that, we're partnering with the LGBTQ Center of New York City to kick off World Pride in New York on the Monday night of Pride. I think it's June 24th. Nice. Um, with a garden party, a taste of pride. So we'll be over on the pier, Pier 57. Uh, it's a, a really fun night. It'll be extra special this year. We've done this for more than a decade, but this year it'll be extra special given that it's World Pride. And then we also are partnering with our business resource group, Pride. So it's our associates who identify as LGBTQ or allies to help do different uh, events around the country where we have presence. So we, we're be doing New Jersey Pride. We are going to be doing Newark Pride. We're a partner on the Stonewall Community Foundation Vision Awards. And then we're doing Jacksonville Pride down in Florida, which is an area that we have a large employee population. So um, it always has a good turnout. So we're excited about that. Nice. You've got a lot going on. <laughs> You're going to have a tiring summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of events. <laughs> <laughs> you need some vacation time. Good fall. John and I are very grateful that so many companies have become very involved in Pride and want to show their support for the community and are doing things. One of the things I'd like to maybe talk about as we look back to the comments that we made earlier about this idea of that one of the true ways to help our community improve is education. Mm -hmm. What do you think that companies... And maybe you can give us some examples of what Prudential is doing, but what do you think that companies can do to recognize that 
as John and I like to say, hashtag we exist 365. We're here 365 days of the year. You can support our community 365 days of the year. When it comes to education, what kinds of things can we do to make sure that this kind of financial education is getting to our community and relieving the stress so that we can focus on the important things in our lives, the things like taking care of our mental health or taking care of our families or growing a family or getting the jobs that allow us to actually pull ourselves up from in that wage gap? Yeah, I think that's a really great question, and I, I completely agree. And I, I mean, from the strategy at Prudential, we never want to just do a one-and-done, for lack of a better word, event, right? So right. it's not like we're just coming in and sponsoring this event and then not doing anything for the full year or never coming back to, to sponsor it again. So I think the, the idea is a, a very thoughtful approach to these different events, whether it be um, the organizations or the actual Pride events that we sponsor during June, during Pride month. But to your point, yes, it's it's a year-round effort that we need to continue to have these conversations with the community. So I know through our Prudential Advisor business with, with our captive advisors that go out and are, are talking to folks across the country all year long, it's very important that they have the most up-to-date information around this cut, around what's going on in the LGBTQ community. So, you know, work done in corporate to make sure that those folks who are out in the field having those conversations every day are armed with this information and can have that ready um, to chat with individuals in the community. Yes, thank you. You know, that's really what it comes down to. For those of you who ask us why we partner with companies like Prudential when they come out with this kind of data or partner with companies at all is because this is what we truly believe. We believe that we need to build a financially strong queer community, that part of being a strong queer community is being financially strong. We have to be there for ourselves and we have to be there for others. And that's why we need this kind of education. That's why it's so important for us to take the information that these companies are providing and see how we can apply it in our lives. Even if it's just taking one simple tip and making one simple change, the amount of relief, financial stress that it can relieve is amazing. And that's, you know, John and I experienced that. And that's why we continue to share this kind of information. No, I mean, I I'm absolutely agree. And I think we've talked before, but, you know, as we mentioned, it's the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots. So it's the, the entire movement is, is still pretty young, if you think about it, in its growth. And back to the original study, just seven years ago in 2012, there was a whole segment of the community, men who had HIV or AIDS, um, who didn't think they were going to live to retirement, right? And so they had money saved, but they spent it down thinking that their lifespan was shortened. But then, thank God, science advanced, medical technology advanced, and then here they are finding themselves in a situation where they're alive and healthy, but then have no retirement savings. So, you know, what what do you do there? Um, Mm -hmm. And to your point about improvement and how all these things are connected on the wellness spectrum, you know, looking at people who are able to handle personal financial matters and kind of get on this kind of even foundation, experienced improvement in depression risk, in job stress risk, in job satisfaction, in their overall life satisfaction, because going back to the hierarchy of needs, if you have these kind of foundational elements in place, then that allows you to focus on what you want to focus on um, and continue to kind of advance in your goals in life. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. I, it's, yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. <laughs> I get very passionate about this because I see so many people in our community in one form or another suffering. And John and I recognized that we had some of that and that some of it was tied to our reckless financial situation. And we really want to help people see that they can change, they can improve things, and they may not be looking at the right thing as the solution. It could be that their finances could be the true solution to relieving some of that stress. You know, absolutely. And I think that it could even come down to just simple budgeting because not everyone budgets, right? You just right. spend and then you don't have money at the end of the month. Oh, where did it all go? So sitting down and being mindful about how you approach your money every month and always making sure that you're putting something into savings, you know, I think that's that's really critical. I think people feel, and you've talked about this, that you need to have X amount of money to work with an advisor or X amount of money to even, or, you know, be out of debt completely to be able to even start about thinking saving for retirement or postponing saving for retirement because you have student loans or whatever the case may be. So even just starting to have the conversation in the community or taking down some of the taboo around it and allowing people the space to have open conversations is a great start to that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, three of the smartest men I know in the gay community <laughs> agree on this, so <laughs> so let it be written, so let it be done. <laughs> there, you, there you go. <laughs> I, so, I do think it's so important, though, that every, we're finally kind of looking at it from a holistic picture, because as you talked about, you know, what we have found, you know, the top five factors that, you know, are impacted by financial challenges, we have stress, inability to focus at work, absenteeism, morale, physical health, which then kind of, as I mentioned, blows up into all these other issues. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. And that's why we're, we're so thankful that Prudential has done this study and that you thought to include our community because money is a little bit different for the LGBT community than it is for the general population. So it's great that we're getting this better picture over time of what our community looks like and how we can address our unique risks and concerns. So Josh, where can our listeners find out more information about this particular study as well as the cut? Yeah, the best way to go is www.prudential.com backslash state of us, and that will take you to the state of financial wellness in America. So we, as we mentioned, you know, we looked at LGBTQ, but then also other cuts of data. They can pull all of that right there. And something that's really interesting is you can take a financial wellness assessment. So it's a little quiz on where you stand, which is a great first place to help people improve their financial wellness knowledge uh, and get on their path to a secure retirement. I love it. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining us again. We appreciate having you back. It's always a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, Josh, for coming back and answering all of our questions about Prudential's 2018 Financial Wellness Census and the cut, Exploring Financial Wellness Within Diverse Populations. To our listeners, please visit prudential.com forward slash state of us to get more information about these studies and to take Prudential's Financial Wellness Assessment. It's a great little quiz to see where you stand financially and is a start to figure out what you can do so you too can achieve financial wellness. Thank you again to Prudential for sponsoring this episode of Queer Money. We'll talk with you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.